Hello, everybody. It's Jen the Builder and... And Corey. Yes, the wonderful Corey. And you are listening to Take the Elevator. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, We just celebrated Labor Day weekend, and we didn't do much of anything as far as outside our home. Right, because we were off from work because of Labor Day. So I'm wondering what everyone else uh, did on Labor Day. I saw some pictures of our friends and family, um, Laughlin, going camping. So a lot of trips, but it still looked very socially distanced. Um, so just a little bit of history on Labor Day. I found this interesting. Labor Day um, became official 1894. And it's interesting, Corey, because the reason for Labor Day is back in the day, working conditions were awful. Horrible. And so we read about even five, six-year-olds working in mills and factories. And coal mines. Oh, yeah, that's crazy, right? And then people working 12-hour days, seven days a week. That was the norm under awful conditions. And so we think we have a hard work week now, right? Right. (laughs) It really puts things into perspective. And then, I, you know, just the people who got involved in doing the strikes and some of them ended up violent in nature just because of the intensity of the rights that people wanted as workers. Right. And what you had was uh, a lot of people passing away from the work conditions in the mills and mines and so forth. So they had to have some change. So it's a little reminiscent of what's happening in today's society on other platforms. On other fronts. Yeah. 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 So we applaud and really remember the people who had an impact in changing our workforce. And a thank you to those who worked on Labor Day and thank you to those who continue to work so uh, Americans can enjoy our agriculture and, and things like that. So we appreciate you very, very much. Very much. And any day that the bank is not open, it's not taking our money. So that's good. <laughs> So this actually segues into the podcast session that we have with Phaedra. Mm-hmm. You guys are about to hear a wonderful interview with Phaedra, and we just want to salute her too and just say thank you for the work that she's done with people in our community. A very important company called Promise. Promise. I love the name of that company. And so we'll hear about what she does. Just humbled and grateful for people who work and who provide such an awesome service to our community. Can we please do one would you rather? Yes, we can. Right after this break. Every Okay, Corey, as you, I like that you like this. Would you rather? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So, what number are we picking? One to two thousand. I think the last time we did was one. One. Let's go with ten. Ten. All right. Would you rather take cooking lessons from a celebrity chef or piano lessons from an acclaimed musician? Piano lessons from an acclaimed musician. That would be the joy of my life. See, and I would do the chef thing because it's a celebrity chef, and I would go with Gordon Ramsay. Oh, okay. That's a good choice, though. So he could yell at me. Oh, I don't know about that. That's not why, but he, he yells at people on, like, Hell's Kitchen and That's stuff. on TV. I, I'm sure he doesn't do that in real life. I love watching him. And for those who don't know, sometimes my daughter and I will be in the kitchen cooking, and I don't know why, but I'll throw on a British accent to make it more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. 
I anticipate that this is going to be quite an amazing one. Don't you agree, Corey? Absolutely. So a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that we were going to have a very, very important person on our podcast, not just an important person in general, but a very important person in our lives. Phaedra is the bonus mom to Michaela and Nate. She's extended part of our family. And so we're just excited to have you, Phaedra. Thanks for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. And I feel so grateful to get to be a partner with the kids that you have raised. Thank you so much. We ended Women Elevated Everywhere in August, but we actually extended it just to have Phaedra on because she is such a woman of power. And and it's not just power in business and, and in things that she's involved in. She, Phaedra, you have just a wonderful spirit to you. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. It's a, one that draws people in and it's a warm, loving spirit. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. So I know Corey's been long, anxiously awaiting this interview with you. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Corey, are you ready? Absolutely. So, I mean, let me explain first and foremost why I'm so excited. I love when people do business well. That's first Mm -hmm. and foremost. And I like the fact that people having their own business is something that Phaedra really strives for. Working for someone else, that's fine if that's what you do. But once you realize that you can do so much more for yourself in business, it just brings you to another level. And so, Phaedra, first of all, well, let's let's start with an introduction. Tell us about yourself and because, I mean, we know all about you, but the listeners don't. So just just inform us who you are. Phaedra, Ella Fankins, I'm so happy to be with you both. Um, I mostly think about myself as a mom because I have a lot of little people in my life. But I've been really lucky professionally that I've been exposed to a lot of amazing people and a lot of amazing opportunities. And I'm currently at a company called Promise that's focused on improving the criminal justice system. And we're a software company. We sell technology to government. And um, we are all over the country right now. We're just uh, growing a lot right now. Nice. That's so awesome. Phaedra, tell me, how did you first begin doing startup companies and working for yourself? Uh, yeah, I um, I had two experiences that made me really believe in the need for working people and people of color to understand technology. First, I was in the labor movement and I realized that technology was harming people. So it used to be that, for example, if you were a janitor, you worked directly for a company. But what started to happen with technology is they started keeping engineers and people they called core to the firm and everyone else became contractors and they started to pay people less. And so we realized that technology, while it seemed like it was good, it was having a negative effect on a lot of the working people we know. And um, it was really creating kind of two different economies. And so that happened. And then I was in music and music, I saw that uh, technology was devaluing content. So all of a sudden, artists were no longer making as much money from music, so they had to rely on performing. And so Mm -hmm. it was clear to me in both music and in the labor movement that technology was not playing a positive role. And so I wanted to understand how did technology work. I had to support a family, so I couldn't go to business school. So I was like, the best way I could learn is to go actually work in a company. And I started working at a company running operations, and then I said, these, the salespeople aren't moving quickly enough. So I ended up running sales <laughs> and operations. Hmm. And from there, I was like, I'm smart enough. Like, I could do this. It's like, these dudes are running this company. Like, I'm as smart as them. I'm capable. And so then I raised money from investors and I started my own company. Awesome. Yes. So just for the listeners, can you give a little bit of history on who you were working for in the music world? 
sure. I worked for Prince, the musician. It's, it's so interesting because I, of course, love him deeply, deeply now, but I hadn't been a fan, so I didn't understand like what a big musician he was until I worked with him. Wow. Growing up, I was just an extreme fan. And so um, mm. that was very exciting for me, uh, for lack of a better words right now. But Phaedra, what, what really is interesting to me is this promise company that you started. And the reason why it's so interesting, and, and I'm close to wood because I know I'm going to be knocking a whole lot. I've never been to jail. I've never been convicted of a crime, but I know a lot of people that have been. And the reason why it's so interesting to me is because, you know, as a child growing up in some adverse situations, I was told that I wouldn't wouldn't live to see my 18th birthday. Mm. And if I did, I was guaranteed to go to jail at least once. And so knowing that I grew up with this ideal that I'm so fortunate to make it to 48 so much past um, 18 and now here's someone fighting for a cause that's going to keep people of color out of jail. Can you please just break that down a little bit? Yeah, part of what drives me is in general, I don't think there's a lot of technology for poor people and black and brown people that isn't predatory. Mm. And so whether it's lending products, you know, like this thing, poor people do get technology, it tends to like charge them a lot of money. Right. So so I was interested in a criminal justice system because I just didn't know enough about it. And so I knew, like you, that I felt really lucky that I had never, right, been arrested. I had never, you know, I actually been, that's not true, I've been in jail for, like, civil protests, like, fighting a pipeline, or, you know, <laughs> but not, uh, not in a way that wasn't, like, with 30 other people and deported. And so my family was impacted largely because of addiction. And so what I began to realize is I looked at it and I realized that, one, is that the system kind of penalizes people who have mental health issues and addiction issues. Right. And two, that two-thirds of the people that are in jail have not been convicted of the crime that they were arrested for. So most people who are in county jail are not people who've been convicted of a crime. It's a lot of people who are poor and can't afford to get out. And so, and the incentives are off because the way that the system is funded is you get more money per person per day. And then last is the technology that is in the criminal justice space is mostly for cops. <laughs> it's like, how can you surveil someone? How can you oh my goodness. someone about like who might be, right? And so I wanted to understand, you know, and I thought, and I think that's what our company is about. One is like, how do you disincentivize incarcerating people, right? Because the incentives right now are all about getting people in jail. So how do you disincentivize that? The second thing is I thought we wanted to create a market where people were building technology for people in the system. And clear to me, uh, one of our potential clients said to me, oh, I see the difference between you and I, which is you care about people in the system and I don't. And Hmm. for me, that was like a clarifying moment because I was like, oh, you run Mm -hmm. the system, but you don't care about anybody in the Mm -hmm. system. And so just, you know, we remain committed, which is you want to give people, all people should inherently have dignity. And we think that people have value and we know that it's mostly, I mean, I looked at one city that we're working in. We looked at like, you know, I was like, in the beginning, I was like, oh, we don't want to work with people who have convicted of felonies. That must be like really serious crimes. So I just didn't know about the criminal justice system. And I still had my own prejudices. And then we looked at who had been convicted of felonies and it was mostly young black men and not convicted, I should say arrested, is, and it was, they were, it was considered assault because they stole a cell phone off of someone. So, like, what people didn't know, like, if, if you steal it off of someone and you scare them, it's a felony. If you take it from a store, it's actually a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. And so, those are the things where I was like, oh, that's who violent felons are. <laughs> you stole a cell phone on public transportation. Wow. 
And and so I was like, it, it just, the more I did it, the more I understood how the system criminalizes black or brown. And I think what I'm so excited about in this moment is I feel like first started, no one understood why we're doing criminal justice, but now I think people are seeing, whether through videotapes or stories or your own experiences, Corey, that people are starting to realize the system predetermines who who goes to jail. Right. Can I interrupt you real quick? I, I, I just really want the listeners to hear what you said on something. You said that a person in the system told you that they don't care about the people that they're incarcerating. That's true, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what I want the listeners to really pay attention to is people don't care about you. And, and ultimately, that's a us because if we get put in jail... I'm hearing these things that we can't get out. And if we do, we're almost guaranteed to go back on a technicality or some kind of violation. Mm -hmm. And and can you uh, elaborate on that just for a minute? Yeah, I mean, the way what often happens is uh, someone gets arrested. They want to get out of jail quick. They take a plea deal. They Mm -hmm. might get out of jail, but then they're on community supervision. They're on probation. They're on parole, depending on uh, where they went through. Then uh, the, the most important thing is you give up due process. So instead of having a right to a trial, if something happens, your probation officer, your parole officer, someone can send you directly to jail. And in addition, you're more likely to go to jail from a technical violation, which is I show up, it could be anything from as small as I missed my appointment with my probation officer or I show up late. It could be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And so the system, like the, the, the more I think of it as like an entry point, so the like it. The longer I've been in it, I, I joke that I was not a conspiracy theorist, but now I've become one. And the reason <laughs> is because, like, the person who said that to me was in the Bay Area. So you can imagine what our conversations have been like in the South. Yeah. And so if in the most progressive place that people think in the country, people are saying, oh, we don't care about people in the system. And that's what they say publicly. You can imagine what my conversations were like in the South. Absolutely. And so that's the thing I think it's important for people to understand is, like, this is not a hidden Thing. This is like common terminology. Mm-hmm. And and even in conferences, I remember I was sitting at a conference at a conference of people who worked in the industry and they just started telling racist and homophobic jokes. One of them who used to let, uh, run a large uh, prison system in uh, one of the progressive states. And I just thought like, this is the norms, right? This is the norms in which people communicate. And, and that's what they say in public. So like, we should be clear the system is designed, right? It's both being run, and some places there are some amazing leaders, like Alameda and other places we're seeing, but the system is really just designed for people to fail. Right, right. Um, so, Phaedra, can you give us some numbers? What, what is your success rate? Um, our success rate is actually really high, and there's two things I think that we did. One is we started doing, we did the community supervision, which is basically, think of it as like our technology is like a personal assistant which is it tells you like when you need to be places, it reminds you, it provides support. And then we give information back to the government, such as, hey, we notice if you have appointments, if people live more than an hour away, they're going to be late for their 9 a.m. and they're going to get in trouble. We think if someone is more than an hour away, but they probably shouldn't have a 9 a.m. appointment and have to be in traffic. Right. We say things like, hey, these things don't work. The longer they're on, the more likely they are to get in trouble. Seems like that might be a predetermined. So that's mm-hmm. how our first product works. Second product is really focused on payment. And the thing I like about payments is it's the place that government incentives are the same as the person's incentive. So for example, you don't want to get in trouble. You want to pay your bill. You just might not have money. And the government actually wants you to pay. So as a company, that's my favorite place to sell because the 
if it works well, the incentive is great. And so we actually have a 96% collection rate and we do everything now from uh, child support. And what we do with child support is we work with government to get them to forgive the government debt. Because one thing that is really awful around child support is that the, if you have to pay back public benefits, the uh, custodial parent receives, it's just, it's a system that is like two poor people trying to pay back the system. It just does not work. And right. then we do things like work to be able to uh, do divergencies. We're just going into utility payment. And so what we recognize is that you have to build payment systems for people that recognize where they are, not where you want them to be. Right. And so, you know, you can't pay once a month. Like people don't get paid like that. You can't, you know, you have to be able to change payment dates. And so we just think government debt should be as easy to pay as the cable bill is. Absolutely. So I'm going to tell a very quick story of, of my child support situation because I, I did have to pay child support. And this was before they had changed a lot of the laws as far as that goes. And so I'm just want to want you to give me give me your take once you hear this story. So um, I was gone after to pay child support. They went for back child support, even though I was already supporting my child at the point that I was going to court. I was approximately thirty thousand dollars in debt. And so most people would say, well, then you just neglected to pay your bill or pay your debt. Well, that's not the case, because like I said, I was actively paying child support, but or paying for my supporting my child. Now, when I get to court, I explain to the judge what's going on and he sees exactly what I'm what I'm talking about. But they have no way to reverse the child support in the system, even though I've been supporting my child. And so what I experienced uh, in San Bernardino County was for the very first time, a judge reversed the charges that I was that I owed and the um, child support system didn't even know how to go about doing that. And so there was a big argument and a lot of um, chaos going on in the courthouse over the course of a year and a half. That that money was slowly reversed. And so I was zeroed out without having to pay anything because I had put so much in the system and in my um, child's life. I mean, I think what's great is the end part of the story, right? That's what's supposed to happen is the goal of child support is to be able to have the parent present and then to be able to be supported. And I think that people are starting to realize that. Right. I don't think, again, it's like the criminal justice system. It's not set up to incentivize people participating. So like with our program, you get the debt forgiven. And the reality is that they found when they've done San Francisco to the pilot, as an example, San Francisco's our current client, and they found that when people, when child support gets cut up or when debt is forgiven, not only do people stay current, but then they engage more with their children. Absolutely. And so it's like the systems are, right, because you think, like, it creates a negative relationship between the two parents. It, you know, and so these are the kind of things I think that government has a responsibility to solve for, because otherwise we're setting parents up for failure and then we set up their kids for failure and that's ultimately you know it's like the opposite it's where this is where the incentives are right the system's supposed to help parents be better better parents yeah are such that it doesn't encourage mostly dads to be present in their children's life right right so Phaedra um what do you see promise in three years I think promise will be you know I think one is I want us to build relationships with people where they know that they can have flexible payment systems. Like, I think the difference between our product is like we fundamentally believe in people. We, I think that people want to pay their bills. I think people don't want to be in trouble. And so 
my goal is that we have relationships with individuals where they recognize that we're creating the ability for them to stay out of the criminal justice system or to stay out of debt and, and child support and that we can help people in all aspects of their life. And so my goal is that every person who deals with this type of debt or these type of fees and fines like recognize that there's a better way and that government have to start recognizing, one, that they can't, you know, poor people just can't pay certain things, right? We just, like, it doesn't make sense. Right. So that there is a modern payment platform um, for government and for the people that rely on it. Yes. So I'm not even going to ask you. I'm just going to tell you straight up. I am going to do everything in my power to put this word out there. I'm also going to use every platform I can possibly speak on and, and just let it be known that this is something available to the public, to poor people, to uh, black, brown, and anyone that would need this type of assistance. This is something so great and so awesome. And I'm just proud to say that I have an opportunity to spread the word about this. So just really happy. Oh, I so appreciate that. It really means a lot, you know, that we love you both. And so your kind of support and love is, is, you know, it's always your family that matters the most. They're thinking about you. So I really appreciate that. Every day, elevate. Every day. So, Jen, we talked about the ultimate games that we played in elementary school, and we kind of used an, a, an analogy of how that translates to adulthood. And uh, I think the cat's out the bag now, so we can go ahead and speak straightforward. And when you're playing these games in life, it has a specific outcome that we're hoping for. True? True. Very true. And so I think we have one of the most apropos guests to to talk about this, and that's in Phaedra. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do is just point out how she's using the game, Mm. not so much against itself, but to how to help itself. Right. And, and it just really gives us an opportunity to take a microscope and look at how this is achieved properly. You have a system that is broken. It's almost like it's broken on purpose. Right. And then you That's have how it was designed. Right. The, the system was designed to be broken mm-hmm. and broken on purpose. And it hurts people, but it also helps certain people in, in a financial way. Right, wrong, indifferent. It's a broken system and it needed help and it needed uh, someone to come in and, and straighten some things out. And I think Phaedra is able to give us that uh, perfect scenario, the perfect situation, mm-hmm. and, and just begin to iron out the kinks, yeah. for lack of a better term. Yes, that's the analogy that you spoke about in uh, last week's podcast, playing the game. Yeah not ignoring it, finding a way to work with it and in it, which is what she's done. And it's it's cool how things have come together because we also talked about Labor Day and the people that were involved in the movement in the eighteen late 1800s up until now right. for workers' rights and things of that nature. And Phaedra is just amazing for figuring something out to help the poor brown and black in the system who've been set up to serve time and just use technology to help them uh, work through the system. And what I love so much about it is she's opted not to turn away, walk away from the game, (laughs) put her head in the sand. She's opted to stay involved and be a full participant on how to fix, solve, and enhance the issues for the betterment of someone opposed to staying asleep, 
and just letting the system do what the system does. Yeah, it's courage and bravery. And it's just good to have her in our life. Yeah. Our lives. Our lives. Rather. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that session. She will be on with us again next week, Corey. And this time we're going to be talking from woman to woman. Yes. And I did know that I needed to not say too much at that time, at that point. So if you don't hear a lot from me, it's because I know my lane and I like to drive in it. You know us at Take the Elevator. What we always say is look up and let's elevate. elevate. Every day.